0: Hello, Welcome to In Bed With Books, the podcast where we talk about smutty fantasy, classics, and more. My name is Melissa. And I'm Bethany. If you'd like
1: to find more of us, you can find us on our website, inbedwithbookspod.com,
0: YouTube for video versions of the podcast, or wherever you pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you want to see us outside of the podcast, then head over to Instagram and follow us at inbedwithbookspod. Thanks for being here. Let's jump right in.
1: What have you, how is, how is your summer coming along? Your hair, how is your hair coming along?
0: <laughs> it's so humid. I feel like I'm wearing a second head of hair. It took me so long just to get it up in, in like a bun because yeah. it's twice as big as usual. The humidity is that I can only assume like a solid 175%. So I feel Gross. like I'm swimming. Yep. Gross. Um, I was it, looking at
1: the map oh. recently and I realized just how like close Houston is to the Gulf. <laughs> like,
0: oh fuck. yeah. Yeah. We're only like 30 minutes, like a 30 minute drive. Yeah,
1: It's like, yeah, no wonder. Like, it's
0: yeah. It's a swamp. Um, quite literally. Like, it's just like Louisiana where it's like, it's literally a swamp. We have built on top of a swamp yeah Um. that's why every time there's like a big storm it floods like that yeah because there's nowhere for the water to go the water table is already so high um but also it is so hot that i don't know how much of the water in the air is like humidity and how much of it is just the sweat that i'm producing yeah at this point so that's where <laughs> the i'm heat. at yes yes
1: oddly enough for me, I think summer's become like my new favorite season. I, that's
0: disgusting.
1: I know. I am so
0: against, so against everything can, cannot relate to that right now.
1: I'm so happy. I know, but I think honestly it's because, so I've always really, I've always, majority of my life I've lived, um, halfway between Seattle and Portland. Mm -hmm. it's a little bit closer to like the coast than seattle is even though seattle's on the the puget sound Mm -hmm. it's still like you still have the olympics that kind of like keep you from like the sea Mm -hmm. like temper temperaments like so in centralia i feel like where i used to live it was like it rains more there like I've moved to Seattle and I'm like, it really doesn't rain as often as I'm used to. I'm like, wow. It's so funny. It's so weird. And of course it's, it still rains in Seattle. It still rains a lot, but I I'm like, oh, actually it doesn't as much as what I'm used to, what I Mm -hmm. thought. Right. Then the summers are incredible. Like we haven't had a day over 90. We had, you know, it gets like 50, 40s, 50s at night. Like, it's really nice. And like, people move here for the fucking summers. Like, and I'm starting I'm to like understand it. I'm actively
0: trying to not make my face angry right now. Yeah.
1: It's okay. Like, I failed you're there, on my
0: face. And I was like, oh. <laughs> work it out, Melissa. <laughs> work it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and,
1: and Seattle's nice because you get a breeze from like, you're mm-hmm. surrounded by bodies of water. Like yeah. there's Lake union, there's like Washington, there's the sound, there's like, um, rivers and shit. But like, I go down to this park on Washington Lake, Lake Washington, like every day I can just to like go sit in the sun and then like swim in a lake, which we know how, you know how I feel about yeah. swimming in bodies of water and you can see and that's, feel. see,
0: that's all I asked. Yeah.
1: I was like, I can just see let it. Let me see the bottom. And it's
0: a big
1: lake. Yeah. And you get lots of like mountain streams coming through this lake. It's getting yeah. filtered. It's good. So I feel good about it. It's not a cesspool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like That's, some lakes. Like, if I know that there's movement in the lake, I can get into it. Even if it's like a little dark, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just need to know that like, there's like, it's not just sitting there. It's not still water, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. My family used to go up to Lake Tahoe during the summer, not every summer, but every few summers we'd go out there. And it's I mean, it's right in the name, it's a lake, but there was this one beach that we found that the water was just beautiful, like you could yeah. see down the the there was it was almost enclosed. it was one of the like the nicer beaches um and so you could go out about like thirty feet into this water, and you was still only about waist high, yeah. And you could see all the way to the bottom, yeah. And there was like rocks, and so you could like climb up on the rocks, and it was like this like tiny little, like water park within it, yeah. But like, that is a very exclusive instance where I'm like, yeah, also in a lake, I'll do yeah. that one. Um, otherwise, I think back to like, okay, so when I was abroad as a freshman, um, I went to Cyprus. And we would spend the weekends at the beach because it was right there. I mean, it was literally like a 10 minute walk. And I, I must've been like week three that I was out there. I looked down and it finally kind of settled that I couldn't see to the bottom of where I was walking. And I think my soul like left my body for a solid 30 seconds. Cause I was like, we can't panic right now. This is, cause I was also like surrounded by People that were—I I don't want to say like much older than me—but they were all like in their late twenties, early thirties, and yeah. so I was like, "We're not going to be the nerd right now." Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we're safe, Melissa. Look at how many people are swimming right now. There's nothing in the water, and if there is, why would it get you? There's no reason that it would need to get you. So, like, I couldn't even fully convince myself that there wasn't anything in the water, but I could convince myself that I was uninteresting enough that it wouldn't get me. Yeah. which is a (laughs) terrible thing to have to do to yourself (laughs) but yeah i think i mean i grew up similarly placed like surrounded by lakes in michigan and we had like saint Clair, and that was the kind of situation where like it's not really filtered it's like you've got the great lakes it's like a small lake kind of off of Mm -hmm. that and so it was really stagnant because it wasn't connected to the great lakes it didn't have its own tides yeah and during the summers, like one day you'd be swimming in it and then the next day it'd be closed for E. coli.
1: Gross. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you're like, oh, that's actually disgusting. I've, I've heard that about Lake Erie it, but... as
1: well. I've heard Lake Erie I, don't really know about like
0: Erie. I wasn't really close to that one. Yeah. I don't think. I don't. It's bad. Don't. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I'm going to look it up real quick because it's going to bother me. And then
1: seawater is just so harsh. I remember when we went to I went to Croatia and we were like, well, we have to, it was so hot and we were like, well, we have to like jump in the water. And it was gore. It was just beautiful. And it was really like, we jumped in, but then like my, like my fucking hair, I was like, I can't do this. And it's bleached. Like it's so hard on your hair. And I was like, I can't, I like, I can't brush it. Like I have to wash it like three times. It's really, and of course it's all hard water and
0: yeah. Yeah. I prefer seawater though to uh to like fresh water if I'm gonna swim in it. Cause seawater, like it revives you. Cause if you got like cuts and stuff, it'll clean that shit out. Yeah. I have like And you're like all
1: slippery afterwards, like from Yeah. The yeah.
0: I've got um what is it? Like a uh, upper respiratory issues. Cause I've had asthma like my whole life and like bad pollen allergies and everything. But every time I go to the beach, like to the, to the ocean beach, I feel fucking revived. Like it's, it opens my lungs. It feels so nice. Yeah. Um, so even if I can't go in it, it is nice to go to the beach to like, feel that. Yeah. A sea breeze is just, it's healing. I get what, like the romantics were talking about when they were like, well, we have to go to Italy to correct our humors and yeah, <laughs> the vapors and all of that shit. So yeah. I get it.
1: Okay. What are we talking about today? Melissa,
0: um, We are talking about different kinds of magic powers that show up in fantasy novels yes. and books and romance. Yes.
1: And romance.
0: And romance. <laughs> um, yeah. So at this point, we have read quite a bit of fantasy and we've gotten like, I don't want to say the biggest range when it comes to the kind of like diversity right. because we have consistently right kind of similar creatures but there's so many variations within that that I think it will be interesting to look at and answer some of the questions that we've got lined up for today.
1: Yes. Um we were tra- trying to think of like how to like what kind of powers there are and like mm-hmm. what what they're like attached to like you know you you hear about like elemental powers or like um telepathy or compulsion, like mind powers. And then you also have like shape shifting. And but then there's like ones that are connected to like what they are, right? Mm-hmm. Like witches, which is like witches have like a really specific um all of their power is connected to the land.
0: Mm-hmm. Some well like because witches are magic, yes. like in a very traditional sense. Whereas like other creatures like fey or vampires it tends to kind of be subsidiary to what their actual like type is mm-hmm. so yeah i feel like there can be more variation with witches than there yeah there's like more there freedom tend to be. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah um and then we were talking kind of about fey powers which is mm-hmm. very much i i would you argue that like Fey, Fey powers are tend to be more hierarchical yeah because of the the structure of like their world yeah. and courts and stuff. yeah um like reese is the most powerful and so he oh that's what i was gonna say earlier it came to me oh okay ah. okay good what um, was it um we we can kind of touch on maybe like powers connected to objects.
0: Okay, yeah. Um
1: like for example with Reese, um when Amron was like, Well, you have the sword, mm-hmm. you could now be like king of Prithian or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas he couldn't do that without the sword and like this compounding of like
0: I think he arguably could be. Yeah. But like if he were to take the sword, it wouldn't even be a choice of yes or no, it would just would be. Yeah. Um I'm also thinking of like the philosopher's stone. Mhm. Um that's like an object in history, like I guess like myth but whatever you want to say, yeah. that is tied to magic. Um also like Excalibur? Yes. Um yeah. So I think like the thing with the objects too is that they tend to symbolize this very specific essence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like Excalibur is very explicit. It was like whoever wields the sword is the one true king of Albion. Yeah. So it's not even like a debate on what that symbolizes. Whereas like the Philosopher's Stone, you kind of have the, the like superficial, this is for eternal life but then you have like the moral the quote-unquote moral of the story which is it's unattainable
1: because
0: mm-hmm. eternal life is unattainable so you know what or, I mean yeah uh other things are like the fountain of youth yeah yeah
1: like it's that. the thing you're
0: just going to keep searching for it's a myth in like yeah. the very literal sense of like it's a myth but also like what it represents is a myth
1: yeah Yeah, the
0: ability to stop time for yourself is you can you can quite literally search for that for the rest of your life and we see people in their like midlife crises doing that when they're buying the sports car or like getting the hot new wife who's 20 years younger but yeah in reality they're gonna keep chasing it and never attain it exactly um so yeah I think objects are this very like Like, quite literally, symbolic element within fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, What's another one? The one true ring, the ring of power. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Oh, yeah. Huge, huge one. Um, Within Narnia, each of the kids kind of had their own little symbol. Mm -hmm. So when they return, when they first get to Narnia, they get these gifts from Santa. Don't ask me why lewis threw santa in there he felt that it was imperative to the story i am with uh (laughs) tolkien on this one i feel like it was a little um maybe outlandish even for fantasy yeah but they each get a gift from him and so when they come back in the sequel and i'm talking based on the movies i don't remember how the books were lined up order wise um but when they come back for the sequel they find those gifts and are recognized once again as the kings and queens of narnia Mm -hmm. like 1300 years later so it becomes this symbol within narnia of them as rulers right um and like let's see lucy had a a tonic that could heal any wound just short of death um and she's the young one she's the one that's meant to keep their hope alive that helps connect them to aslan so that's that very kind of like Uh, restorative nature of Lucy's character whereas um, Susan the older sister got a bow and arrow Mm -hmm. and her whole thing is being like super like uh, what's the word logical and precise and like cutting things down and so like the this like the bow and arrow feels very much like that kind of uh, cutting energy more so than like a sword which is meant to represent like strength and royalty you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah oh, the, that the... really
1: reminds me of in lord of the rings the gifts galadriel gifts the fellowship
0: oh yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's huge Same. in fantasy yeah. and like fairy story let's just say which both of them were basing these off of like these two that's why i think like, it's hard to mention for me it's hard to mention one without the other yeah because they were so imperative to the way that uh fantasy has grown into what it is today yeah in two very different ways. Yeah. It's like Joseph Campbell's uh the journey, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Because you get the part after the heroes have accepted what they need to do where they get the gifts from the magic yeah. person who just kind of like enters the story and then exits after the gifts yeah. are given. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying
1: to think if there's I think that's I think we covered that one though. That's a good. Because there's um I feel like ACOTAR, the way in which ACOTAR uses objects feels really casual to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because it's like something's just going to exist that someone read in a book one day that might be able to help, or there's like rumor of this thing and then it gets used and then no one cares about it anymore. And it's just, it's just very kind of, I I would say, yeah, go ahead
0: i was just gonna say like it feels unclear sometimes on what each of their individual purposes are yeah just because for the most part it just feels like they're super powerful but like for what for anything they're just power you know like yeah we were led to believe that it was just the cauldron that was and then suddenly there's these the the death the dead trove death trove yeah we're also there like that in the exact same way which yeah, is and then that, the like, books
1: like those books and then it's like yeah
0: it's like well it's just power it's like okay i well i don't hate that entirely i do kind of prefer when the objects are kind of like like the philosopher's stone where it's like this is it serves a very distinct purpose and it it's a very yeah. specific symbol that we can use for the story whereas it, like akatar is just power
1: yeah in akatar I, I feel like you know, maybe this isn't her strongest suit in uh, writing like Moss is that like it really felt like she just needed something to kind of, yeah, put in place a plot, you know, which yeah. I'm not complaining about at all because it is like a way of using objects and stuff. Yeah, but I don't yeah. I don't I don't have any kind of like reverence for these objects you know which yeah, I which like, I feel like in other stories there there's a bit more yes
0: yeah yes like the build-up for the the ring in Lord of the Rings. is insane or, oh yeah you get yeah. a whole
1: you get a whole like history you know there's a whole yes. history attached
0: yes to so yeah. this very specific object and you can see the way that it influences and you can like there's a specific way that it's supposed to be used but it's only this one and yeah. so this one object is extremely special
1: and the political implications of it as well, like yes. how he gave the nine yes. rings to the men and like the yes. all, of all of these, like po- the politics that were associated with the, these objects this is interesting.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas like, obviously we're balls deep in Sarah J Moss stuff. So yeah, I'm not trying to say like, this is like a huge issue for me, but it does feel kind of like the dread, the, the dead, dead trove. Yeah. Dread. Yeah. J- dead i had just i I don't know (laughs) i feel like i just watched uh princess bride so i feel like dread trove might just be dread pirate roberts like trying to (laughs) vomit out of my mouth um but oh shoot hold on i'm doing the hamster fall off the wheel one second what was i saying
1: um yes okay i feel
0: like it was kind of a cop-out to have it just like well the objects have chosen to be forgotten and we're just remembering now because of nesta yeah. yes but that's how like it felt. calls I was like, to like yeah <laughs> yeah like like that that just felt like a very easy explanation to suddenly yeah remember these things like that especially and i think it's because having read it after reading crescent city you can see all of the like seeds that she's planting yeah. before for the crossover with these two things yeah and so i think that's also why the introduction of these objects that just conveniently wanted to be forgotten and are suddenly wanting to be remembered right is so like it's, it just really sticks out it's kind of jarring for the rest of the story sometimes yeah
1: yeah yeah and i can see her kind of improving upon this now in crescent city like she's she's a little bit more yeah. like um um uh, yes you know intentional about the objects
0: yes well like with the the horn like that was a very specific thing with a very specific purpose um but it doesn't like this the the coincidence isn't lost on me because there's also a horn in lord of the rings and in narnia yeah just kind of going back to these two things like setting the stage for fantasy as we know it today And in like the horn in these kinds of stories symbolizes like exclude, like if we're going to use it as an archetype, it's the call to arms. Yeah. So I like that she, yeah, that she got a little bit more specific with what the, the objects were their intended use is, I guess I could say.
1: One thing I feel like. To move on from objects a bit. Yeah, no. That's fine. I feel like um one thing that I find really interesting is when authors decide to use Let's see I said it earlier to you know
0: yeah <laughs> the hamster
1: is gone now yeah I know he's nowhere know. to be found
0: <laughs> I think it's the heat dude like more and more the last couple of weeks I'll do like I'll start a thought yeah and then I get halfway through and I'm like it it's gone yeah I don't know where it went it it's gone forever out my mouth without the sound yep yeah
1: um what I'm trying to explain though is in Serpent and Dove when Lou there's that incredible scene that I'll just like never forget because it was so good I really need I really want to like listen to the series again Mm -hmm. I just forgot how much I love it um but there's that scene I think it's in Blood and Honey where she's in the pub and she's like throwing a dagger and she's using her magic mm-hmm. and of course with witches like you're using um the space around you you're using like the earth mm-hmm. to um, in exchange for something right so you have to take mm-hmm. something away to gain something else mm-hmm. um and uh so she takes like the wind out from her in order to like shoot this arrow at like the bad guy Mm -hmm. and I like it when authors I guess there was a lot in that scene that was showing you just how reckless Lou was being yeah um and that was like a good example of like not she hasn't been training because she's been hiding her magic because magic has smell which is another cool part Mm -hmm. cool thing that I fucking loved about that story was that like magic has a smell and you have to like cover it
0: you're gonna love the hollows dude okay <laughs> yeah
1: I love the use of smell just in books generally yeah. so yes same um like phase heightened smell and stuff um, um what
0: what well I guess like kind of kind of popping off of that as well is like I wouldn't say that all like which stuff uses mm-hmm. that like magic cost has a price mm-hmm. but I think think that's one of the first times that i've seen it be like a very literal kind of one for one price so like speaking of the hollows which was on my mind for this reason um so there is a price that she pays for that for for magic because there's in the hollows there's a few different kinds of magic and what is deemed black magic if you do black magic you'll get like a smudge on your aura and so you can't always see your aura even like if you have the ability to see you kind of have to like squint and like look with your third eye kind of situation Uh, i think she calls it her second sight but that's kind of like eventually like a slight spoiler but again because i know you don't really mind spoilers is like she has a really hard time with it at first she's just Mm -hmm. a green witch to begin with she does like potions and stuff because she's like i don't want any smudges on my soul I don't want to deal with that because there's like this secondary kind of implication of what does that mean for me to have a smudge on my soul? Mm-hmm. But slowly she kind of gets over that a little bit like book by book. So it's not even immediate. Like I think the end of the first book is just that, that climax for her character is just her deciding to do a very, very small spell that'll leave just like the the smallest of smudges on her. Like it's not even that big. Um, and then by the very end, she's just covered in, yeah. in it because she's realized that it's actually bullshit. And like, what is the smudge even? Right. Like, what, like, what is it? Whereas in Serpent and Dove, like you said, like in that, that scene specifically, because I think about that shot as well, when she like knocks the wind out of herself to do this one shot and then she just keeps fighting. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit. Yeah. She what is it like um reed gets rid of his memories of her yes to cast a spell like that's a huge price to pay yeah at that point yeah Um, and
1: even in uh the cruel prince um vivi and vivi and heather vivi like vivi like wanting to like take away her yeah like memories and stuff like Mm -hmm. which jude is just like that's not a good idea because mm-hmm. yeah like
0: there's just, just a terrible idea And that, that one's <laughs> less like the universe needing to balance itself kind of price and more yeah. like the kind of like like yeah. human human price quote unquote because vivi's not human but like price that you pay through magic and it wasn't even in it wasn't the magic of trying to get her to forget but the price that she's having to pay for like glamoring her or not glamour i can't remember like doing the geese or whatever it is on her yeah. at the party like that's the price that she's having to pay for that yeah um so yeah so all like all of that to say that the way the authors can toy with that idea of like the price of magic is i think really interesting because it really reflects one something that's necessary within the story like you said like needing to show Lou's recklessness, or in the instance of the hollows, like needing to break through this kind of structure of what you think something is supposed to be, like the shame that you give yourself or that's been like thrust upon you because of some outside institution that really doesn't have a say, you know, yeah, yeah.
1: so, yeah. like, um, like Lou, i I found that world to be incredibly like harsh because of that. Mm -hmm. like everything has a price then like what's the point of using magic you know um but that but it's such a huge part of them huge part of their Mm -hmm. life um that it's really it's really about um it's like honing it and learning how like not just training like the power itself but like about thinking on the spot of like what to do yeah yeah um like because there's also that um battle that she has with reed where he's like pushing her buttons and she like, um, pushed him too far. And Mm -hmm. like, she actually made a mistake in that moment. Like, yes, (laughs)
0: you know, and I think the thing is too, like in those books, we're seeing a very isolated kind of situation because Mm -hmm. the witches that are using magic in that book are not using it the way that she is typically. Yeah. It's like they give up a little bit of heat in their body to light a fire. That is typical like which which is for their world it's yeah. not giving up all of the air in their lungs to yeah stab somebody across the room yeah so I think also like the idea or like our perception of that being a little harsh is directly related to the fact that it it's meant to feel scary because we're seeing mm-hmm. it from Lou's point of view yeah yeah so
1: yeah very interesting
0: yes yes so we and by we I mean you had kind of divided things into like different sections and two of the like the big kind of like circles that could be a Venn diagram that I liked were powers that like are inherent that are given or not given sorry like powers that are like Uh, like inherited biologically versus like powers that are earned through something Mm -hmm. acquired later yeah because i feel like there is such like a vast difference between kind of what those can look like yeah or i guess like what those end up kind of feeling like so on the one side of this in the like powers that are inherent i would say it's like witches and fae. For the most mm-hmm. part, obviously the Archon yeah, yeah, yeah. sisters are outliers. Um, but like on the opposite end of that, you have things that are turned like people that are turned into magic creatures, which are like vampires and shapeshifter, like werewolves. I will say sisters and the, speaking, sisters. <laughs> and the <R-Tron laughs> sisters, yeah. Like generally speaking, I think shapeshifters can go on either side, but I'm thinking specifically of like werewolves. Mm-hmm. So, like if we look at vampires, traditionally speaking. Vampires have this wide range of powers, but the powers are all meant to like confuse humans because they are this like predator of humans, right? I think specifically vampires are the only ones that are a predator because Mm. I wouldn't consider werewolves even to be because werewolves are kind of unwilling, they like turn on the full moon and they don't know what they do under the full moon, they aren't doing anything actively. Whereas, like, vampires as this symbol or kind of this threat in the night there isn't like a the solution for for defeating a vampire is just to kill it right whereas like in some cultures when you wanted to defeat a werewolf it would have to be like the matriarch of the family would have to call their name so many times from the back porch of their family home and like present them with like a piece of cloth, like weird shit like that yeah but it's possible to like overcome a like a werewolf's shift whereas it's only possible to kill a vampire because a vampire is meant to be predator and so their powers are directly connected to needing to trick humans so like compulsion turning into different animals um i i guess it could fall under compulsion but like making them hallucinate Mm. so like different forms of like telepathy and shit like that yeah and even though we don't always see like a vampire being made the presence of a vampire implies the presence of a sire which implies like a lineage you know what i mean like like yeah you aren't born a vampire for the most part. right you're
1: made one yeah that's true yeah
0: yeah so you 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 acquire those powers at a later date and then choose i guess how that how you decide to go about that but yeah um, at the end of the day you still have the powers
1: yeah the, so there's also in like from blood and ash, which I feel like is really unique in that like you have, you turn into a different, what do you call it? Like a species essentially. I guess. I yeah. guess that like, we'll just call it that. Yeah. Um, you know, when she when, and remind me because you start somewhere and then you end up somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Depending
1: on what blood you're eating. Yeah. Drinking.
0: I don't even know I can't at remember this point, yeah I, well because it's I mean because at first I remember they weren't really sure yeah what she had because there, there was one type of Atlantean that could control emotions and that's what they assumed she was at first but they were so she was like you'd have to be from a really old family or like have somehow crossed like one half blood with like another half blood to somehow create a a full-blooded one on accident basically um but it was basically yeah it was basically that like they were all vampires or like like I guess quote-unquote vampires but they all had different powers whereas I don't even really know what his power is other than strength maybe Castile yeah he has compulsion too Yes, and I feel like I feel like they mentioned that that's also not common. Yeah, yeah. Um, for his for like the he's an elemental. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, whatever. Yeah, I think that's what the name they named him or like his their their like species. Yeah, a vampire. They're yeah subspecies. But other than that, like, I feel like they're kind of a bland. Strain of vampire compared to some of the other ones that they talk about.
1: Yeah, some of the other, yeah, like Craven. And stuff. Like Craven is like when you like eat too much Wait. or something.
0: Well, no, because like the Craven are when, or oh, you don't have that the like blood. Yeah, well, it's when the like the nobles from the old world, anybody that they bit turned into a Craven. Right. So her, like the the Duke and Duchess, like what do they turn into again what's the name for theirs they're like soulless
1: i know and they God, can't go out in the sun awful.
0: yeah and but the thing is like they're, they're not free. real There's vampire. vampire yes and so the thing is they're not real vampires right because of what we found on the last one is that they are the product of like isbeth's corruption right. because she is like essentially this kind of frankenstein monster version yeah. of of a god who's not a real god she's a false god yeah um and then she would use their blood to like use the atlantean blood to morph the nobles into vampires which are false ones which create the craven but even like within atlantia they would get like the like there used to be the ones that could shapeshift into dragons right or you could have ones that like um that could change their face because remember they used that to trick her at the end of book 2 mm-hmm. And almost killed her that way. So yeah, I'm just like, how 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 did the Deneers gain power when they don't even have like that killer of like a power or abilities? Yeah. Yeah, because
1: cause it does seem like, I mean, just being an Atlantean was really a lot in the first book, like, cause you can, yeah. you heal really fast and you know, yeah. you're really fast and you're really strong, but, but we're just comparing this to Poppy. Like, yes. and we don't even yes. know what she is. So it's like, yep. it's a very, it's a very like, like, I think we're still learning, you know, yeah. what everything is and how it is. So it's interesting. And like, what
0: are the limits of their powers? Yeah. Because again, like one of the I would say difficulties of most of the series being told from Poppy's point of view is that we don't know shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we've kind of talked about that before is like the, the mental walls that she'll put up to protect herself, which makes sense. Like, yeah, the, the, the shit that she's been through, but like, even now that we're getting all of these answers, all it does is create more, more questions. And it doesn't explain what the literal limits of her power is because now that we've even seen, like, Nikdos and Sarah, so many more questions about, yeah. like, w- again, what these limits are. And, and, like, not to see, like, well, like, where does it end? But, I mean, like, what are, like, the actual parameters and the rules to these? And I, yeah like, because we don't see their full power. Because sometimes we'll see Nikdos, like, appear in a room in his full godly essence, like, through a puff of smoke and just, like, wielding intense power. And then we're also kind of like, now we know that Poppy is kind of at that level because of like the things that came together to make her. But the biggest thing in like the end of book one that we knew was just that she was bit by Craven and she didn't turn into Craven. And you're like, wow, that's super lucky for her. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's like, no, she's actually a god. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. Um
1: so now when we go back and read it again we'll be like oh yeah of that course. makes so much
0: sense yeah um, those books are so <laughs> big i don't know if i'll ever read them for a second time um i, I might have to i'd love ever- to
1: listen to like the, i like lit re- rereading by listening yeah
0: i could i could listen to it but i think that's the thing is like now and i would argue that that's the direction the series is taking at this point because we've got this kind of second round of answers around the prophecy thanks to the prequel series and the direction that it's taking at this point in the original series which is the issue now is like first and foremost nick jose's uncle whose name i can't remember the primal of life who used to be the primal of death who stole it
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah it's been a long time coming but i feel like we're getting answers to some yeah. of these questions yeah we are. and we're going to see the full scope of of poppy's powers yeah yes yes
1: there was another topic though i think we should cover Hmm. so i when we were talking earlier i was thinking about like harry potter mm-hmm. and they all go to school yeah. and they're all on even playing ground yeah you know like everyone is going but then but then there still seems to be a hierarchy of like who's the most powerful Mm -hmm. still which i find is interesting i guess whatever you would call it talent
0: i i think that's the interesting thing about like harry potter because on the one hand it's meant to all kind of be like this like an allegory for the holocaust and you've got like pure bloods versus Mm -hmm. like pardon my French, Mudbloods, um, but then you've also got these very specific characters who are kind of extremely powerful, and it's it's unclear if there is anything beyond just like luck around that, mm-hmm. because as much as Voldemort was pushing pure blood witches and wizards and don't mix bloods with other species and all of that shit his father was a mortal or a muggle and so it's very like and he was in his own right i won't deny that in his own right like a very powerful lizard yeah and so that in and of itself disproves the kind of like racial issues that he was trying to raise but it also can't be ignored that on the other end, like the the pinnacle of power within the resistance, Dumbledore was also in his heyday, kind of like a wizard white supremacist, right? And he he was like involved with Grindelwald and tried to do their own Muggle war when they were younger. Oh, weird, yeah. And that's all like that's kind of mentioned in the books when we get the history i want to say in the seventh book we learn more about that and i still like i feel like it was an interesting artistic choice to decide to do that for a children's book but yeah i wouldn't say that she's the best at making decisions to begin with so yeah i think it's really like a mystery of why that happened yeah (laughs) um i mean case in point lily lily potter on multiple occasions is quoted by other people as being one of the brightest witches of her age Mm -hmm. and she's a mudblood she's and not even like how one magic parent and one muggle parent like she was one of the kinds of kids that kind of pops out out of two seemingly muggle parents um yes i do find it interesting that harry potter is having that conversation and then still kind of like falling into like the trap of still in some way like identifying it in a couple of characters you know
1: yeah Um, like i was kind of thinking like um like harry is supposed to be the most he's supposed to be powerful if not mm -hmm. as powerful as voldemort um so it's like the chosen one right but hermione's like powerful because she's also smart yeah and ron is powerful because he's loyal i don't know
0: (laughs) yeah But like and ron's powerful because he's been around magic his entire life that's how he thinks yeah yeah whereas like harry and hermione have to kind of retrain their brains to do that yeah yeah um i mean that does bring up another point too is like it's not just witches and wizards there but the house elves are i feel like the house elves get brought up a lot but i would argue also like the centaurs in theirs in their world um And then like the dwarves, any creature that for whatever reason can be deemed more powerful than witches and wizards at some point have been like pushed under their boot. Yes. So like the house elves are stuck in this kind of servitude Mm -hmm. um, and are not allowed wands. And the dwarves, similarly so, I don't know. I don't think they're allowed wands, but it doesn't seem to stop them because the few times that we see them in in the movies and in the books they have like no problem using magic at yeah. all. So on the one hand you get like, look at this, like pseudo Hitler. That's bad. Don't think like that. But also we're not going to solve the issue of quote unquote, lesser species being s- enslaved. Yeah. It's like, there's also systemic like issues, issues mm-hmm. that I'm not going to solve. So, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, But that does remind me too. I think, Another one that kind of fell under the Venn diagram that I was mentioning earlier. And I'd be interested to see how you would categorize it, but powers that like spawn up when you hit a certain age, just like Poppy was an example that we had talked about in our kind of like pre-recording. Yeah. Where like you go through the culling at like 17 to 20 and that's when your powers pop up. How would would you say that's something that's inherent or acquired? Well, it is. It is inherent because it Mm -hmm. you
1: can't avoid it, right? That's true. Yeah. Um, but it is. But it has. It behaves kind of like that because it's like a because you start out from without it and then you acquire it. So it's kind of interesting. But it would be like, um, if, if you know, if you were bit by a vampire, that's not something you. Yeah. It's, it's either something you choose or not. Right. Um, yeah. If, uh, but if you're like born as something, you don't really get to choose. Mm
0: -hmm. I, I would say that a lot, like, I feel like I read a lot more fantasy like that when I was younger, but I can't remember quite a lot of it. Um, I do remember Percy Jackson was like that. And so like the whole premise is they're demigods and when they hit puberty is when the monsters like the greek monsters can like smell their their godly blood mm-hmm. they're like whatever mother or father godly parent has has helped make them um and so that's that's like a they have to hide suddenly like they they have this world thrust upon them depending on how open their parents have been about it so like percy's mom didn't really tell her or yeah. tell Perth, tell him that his dad was the god of the sea, the Greek god of the sea, Poseidon. And so when he turns 13 and, like, his teacher turns into a harpy and attacks him, he doesn't know what to do. And like, oh, yeah. suddenly he's finding out, like, he has these powers and this, like, pen turns into an awesome sword. And slowly but surely, like, oh, I've been able to hold my breath underwater for a very long time. Is that why? Like yeah. these little details start to make sense. So like, I feel like that is definitely its own category, its own fun category of fantasy. So
1: there is this one series that I've read, which I feel like the magic <laughs> is very interesting. Um, it is a reverse harem. Okay. And she um, is, she knows that she is powerful. She has these powers. I forget what they are. It's been a while since I read it, but she has to um, regularly expend energy, so she like mm-hmm. runs a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and then when she you know finds all these guys, she can also expend that energy in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Not that funny? That's <laughs> but convenient. it's like a it's like a very it's like a very integral part of like her like
0: magical. Thing she has to, I feel like that goes into our conversation about like the powers and the ways that the authors use that, yes, as like a plot point, yeah, <laughs> that's um, a good, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's great, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? Um, that does also remind me though of like, um, if we want to bring a little bit of sci fi into this, mm-hmm. is the different way that like uh like superhero powers can show up so i was thinking specifically Mm -hmm. of the x-men because the x-men obviously has a much larger variation in powers than say like the avengers yeah um it's just a larger team that is generally speaking so that is kind of just the name of the game um but like there's not a typical way that it shows up so you'll have like professor x who's got his wicked mind powers but at the same time you've got magneto who can control metal both kind of different forms of telepathy but like very different ends of the spectrum but then at the same time you'll get like wolverine who is a science experiment whose power is basically that he's made of metal and nearly indestructible like that's not a mind power that's like when you have abilities you either have body-based abilities or mind-based abilities mm-hmm. and so body ones would be like shape-shifting
1: right
0: um or you've got wings
1: or you can or, yeah or you can fly or you can like winnow yeah. or something or
0: you can um like breathe underwater right. or like like based on these things or you have mind powers which like vampires can kind of fall into that because they'll get compulsion yeah um and then witches can sometimes fall under that because it is like their will doing something it is not changing generally speaking like it's not changing themselves Mm -hmm. in any way it's not like they aren't giving themselves super strength um my favorite conversation that i've had about this had to do with um jessica jones she was a marvel superhero that i have seen that one i fucking love that show so much good show and yeah so like part of the reason that i like that show is because generally speaking though this is not a hard and fast rule generally speaking when women in superhero or like sci-fi or even fantasy stuff have powers they're very rarely based around bodily and like mm-hmm. strength kinds of things mm-hmm. um and if they are like they've got to be a tomboy, you know? They aren't right. traditionally feminine. Yeah. But when they are given this, like, this space to be kind of, like, have ownership, like, this, there's, there's this kind of, like, fear around yeah. having a woman who has super strength. Yeah. Because she can say no. And so that's one of the reasons that I love that her villain in the first season is this guy who can compel you to do these things. Right, just by his voice because it kind of flipped the like he's not abusing her with his body he doesn't have to because he's got the manipulative he's got the mind powers to like make her do that um so yeah one of my favorite examples of of kind of like subverting we really like
1: that show
0: yeah also rumor has it and this is a rumor at this point so if this is like confirmed that it's not true by the time this come out then i cannot vouch for that but there's gonna be okay so the long the long way to this in case anyone's curious but the long path to this is that this past winter we just had the hawkeye show which introduced like basically what's going to be hawkeye's replacement in the mcu and one of the villains in that show is getting her own spinoff because she's a really interesting character And it's been confirmed that Matt Murdock is going to come back, the guy who played Daredevil, and Kingpin, the guy that he fought in Daredevil. And apparently, um, part of their whole thing is going to be looking for like an old ally of Matt Murdock. And rumor has it that it's Jessica Jones. Ooh. Yes, which is exciting because for a hot minute there, Marvel was like, actually, all of our Netflix shows are no longer canon. So those aren't part of our, our sphere anymore. Universe, and yeah. everyone kind of, Yeah, everyone kind of threw a fit and I so, think they corrected it. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're like, actually, no, they are. We were kidding. Like, yeah. Yeah. So Funny. another reason to potentially rewatch Jessica Jones.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. I think, I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of this. Like, do you have any final thoughts?
1: Um, no, I think like, I think we covered like a lot in terms of like, I, I find from blood and ash to be like a really unique way of using powers in terms of like turning people into different things, like things completely. Like I've never seen that. And granted, I haven't read a lot, but that felt very unique to me um
0: I did actually because when we were when I when I brought up the like powers that manifest at a certain age mm-hmm. I feel like there was also a point when they mentioned that like if she hadn't lost all of her blood and basically re all of uh Castiel's mm-hmm. she would have been something different right she would have potentially survived the culling but she would not have been a god but because she took his blood specifically yeah and so there is also like it's not just like yes there's the element of like there's kind of like a a maze when you're trying to figure out like this leads to this which leads to this which can sprout these like and all like and they're connected yeah. this way but like she could have been one thing but because mm-hmm. it happened during the calling it turned into a completely different thing. right it was yeah. all
1: like everything it was very timing
0: and they kind of yeah chance played a big role in that
1: okay yeah yeah and, and also really with serpent and dove like i found that world just really harsh really interesting mm-hmm. in the ways and in, in the ways that the authors use powers to move the plot forward you yep. know, like we need to, need to expend a lot of energy, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, in, in different well, people. It it's a plot device. Yes, I can I can understand sometimes when people get annoyed with it because I I do think that some authors can kind of abuse that and use it as like a cop out with stuff. Um, but when you're talking in like when when you're writing within fantasy, magic and the way that it's expressed and like used within your universe is a plot device whether Mm -hmm. or not people want to admit it yeah and so like that is just how it's gonna work out and so like sometimes that is what's gonna push the plot forward and
1: books that are not fantasy or sci-fi don't do this so
0: yeah it's like
1: such a unique thing to fantasy
0: and like okay so if we want to talk about needing to see sometimes like lose recklessness with magic like just replace that with alcohol and you've got like a normal story and people wouldn't say that it's like wouldn't say that about alcohol if that were the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So
1: so next week though. Yes. Do you know what we're talking about
0: next week, Melissa? Um, yeah. Cause I looked it up. Let me okay, find it cool. again. Just a second. <laughs> okay. So next week you're going to actually be excited. Are you ready for this? Yes. Next yes. week we are going to be talking about the dispossessed
1: yes by Ursula K. Le Guin. Yep. Um, this is our, our honorary classic of the season and yes. it is sci-fi written by Ursula K. Le Guin, who is a Portland author that has written tons of, um, there's actually a ton of books in what's called the Hainish cycle, which is mm-hmm. all in one universe. Um, and this, she has a lot of really uh, popular ones, which is like the Lathe of Heaven or the Left Hand of Darkness are kind <laughs> of her more popular ones. Um, the Dispossessed was one that was given to us in class and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very political. She
0: I can't plays wait.
1: a lot with politics and revolution and anarchy and um, capitalism. And she also plays a lot with gender and um fluidity and stuff like that so it's really she her books are great she's just a master so i'm excited to read one for the podcast
0: (laughs) finally me too this is my first look yes so yes that'll be fun i'm happy to break this cherry with you yes pop it break it so aggressive i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah Yeah. So, so i'm excited for next week
1: yes All right. Until next time. Mm -hmm. Happy reading. Happy
0: reading. Bye. Bye.